to Stationary Adjacent, a podcast at the intersection of analog and digital productivity. I'm Justin Twyfin, joined on his birthday of all days by Stu Lennon. Hey, Stu, happy birthday, and thank you for sharing it with me. That, uh, uh, thank you very much. It feels wonderful. 21 at last, able to go and do all of those things that you can do when you're 21, or, or well, Maybe a little older than 21, I'm prepared to concede. Mm. But uh, no, thank you. It's it's lovely to be alive. We're now at that stage, Justin, where every birthday, the first thought you have is, whew, made it. And the second is, what hurts today? <laughs> Not at all. I'm I'm fighting fit. Um, I'm, as, as you know, I've, I've been sort of watching what I eat. I've lost a little bit of weight. Um, I'm now playing walking golf rather than, than riding golf. So I'm a little bit fitter. Uh, yeah, uh, we're, we're on my, I am going to be a high performance athlete by the time I'm 55. Mm. Mm. I was just thinking you're just a little bit away from qualifying for the senior discount days. <laughs> I'm not sure we have those here, but I dare say all of these things, uh, like, like with most things aging, uh, they come as a bit of a shock. I mean, I'm sure they have to you. I mean, hair growing out of your ears. I mean, did anybody warn you that was going to happen? Oh, well, mine's migrated. It's not just that it's growing out of my ears. It's gone from my top of my head and it's moved down to my ears. Oh, that's terrible. I can't. Anyway, I need a razor for that, Stu. <laughs> I've got several all the way from your homeland of Canada. Uh, my, my Henson razor arrived, um, uh, machined by a company that makes aerospace parts did i mention that mm. um along with its hundred blades so um plenty to keep me going it's uh yeah look it's great um it's very simple it's what a safety razor used to look like it's got a really nice tightening mechanism which is very clever uh it hasn't cut me to ribbons it has cut the hair off my face uh so it's pretty much exactly the same design. No, that's not true. It resembles the design of the original safety razor, which I believe Gillette brought in in 1903. Oh, I feel a blog post coming anytime. <laughs> but they immediately realized that they weren't going to make any money because this thing was really simple and you just had to put little cheap um, safety razor blades in there. So they started designing the current crop. So um, I don't know if you've ever bought a Gillette razor of late, but they have five blades, a Lubra strip, uh, a battery so they can vibrate. I mean, there's all sorts of gimmicks to keep getting you to buy these devastatingly expensive cartridge razors. So I've got away from that. Um, with Henson having a, you know, a bit of a bad day delivery wise, I was barking. So they sent me another. I've now got two. Um, oops. So I've got a spare. That, that's me now done. Razor blade shopping is finished. Uh, all. Yeah, all I need to do now is buy some spare razors in about four years. Wow, you're you're ambitious. You work from home and you shave that often. I'm impressed. Well, yeah, no, I mean, I'm at the moment. I suppose two or three times a week I would shave because um, I because I have my little goatee, and if I don't, then it all gets a bit confused and the line. Yeah, so, the problems I have just anyway. Enough, baby. How is sunny Canada? It is actually sunny. It was. Nice. We went for a walk with Coco the other day. Some of our neighbors were out. It was really lovely. We got to visit and, well, have a couple of beers. And uh, she got to see her friends from outside the door, not through the window waving. So uh, she's happy. 
Uh, but yeah, she turned five yesterday, Stu. Oh, congr- it's it's apparently a birthday month. Uh, well, for for small princesses and me, it would appear. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think she's got you beat by a whole day, and well, maybe not by the years, but we all got it. <laughs> exactly. Oh, and and so you know, this was neighbors on the on the on the patio in the garden, was it? Or yeah, it was uh, working on the garden, and we just uh, Coco came sprinting over to see them because she knows them very well. And uh, next thing you know, we're sitting there, chairs, beers. It was very very lovely. It was almost like summer again, Stu. And then uh, it was cloudy. Mm. I had that today actually. Um, as I've I've restarted my swimming habit so i try and swim every day now um and the water is still quite cool by our standards um by normal standards it's perfectly fine but um most most sort of residents of cyprus would not consider swimming at this time of year either in a pool or uh the sea it's just way too cold um i i think it's fine it's 20 21 22 degrees c the water which is pretty pretty warm you'd say um but it does feel cold when you get in and and today i was actually swimming in the rain um, <laughs> i think that's a which... song title isn't it <laughs> well my wife was somewhat confused she said what are you doing i said well i'm swimming she said, but it's raining I said, well i'm wet anyway what exactly is the problem, Betty? <clears throat> yes. Anyway, so we've had some some inclement weather here. Our spring is dragging its feet, um, and we've got a load of dust in the air. We're uh, round about now comes a, comes the sort of last Coptic storm of the spring, and it's called Black Wind. Um, so it deposits lots of sand all over everything. Well, that just sounds like fun. Yeah, well, most of it seems to be in my throat at the moment, which is not the ideal place for it to be, but there you go. No, no. All right. Uh, so any uh, follow-up today, Stu? Uh, yeah, um, I got a lovely note from Jamie. Hi, Jamie, um, who listened to uh, 102 and uh, wrote me an email about how he lost his dad at uh, the age of 59 as well. Uh, his dad died of a stroke very suddenly, which, um, yeah, horrible. Um, we're we're sort of <laughs> we're in the brotherhood of losing dads at the wrong time, way too early, I think. Um, but it was nice uh, to it was nice for me to sort of remember him and uh, Jamie. Jamie was pleased to remember his dad too. So that was a lovely note. I enjoyed that. Very nice. Um, less fun is um, the Apple Voice Assistant, which um, <laughs> you know, we we have moaned about once or twice, perhaps. Um, I don't know what's going on. Obviously, WWDC is a month away. Um, so I assume that some very, very clever stuff is going on. As I said the other day, this is a great sign of the future. But the Apple Voice Assistant is now the worst it has ever been. It's now worse than when there wasn't a voice assistant. So for many, many mornings, I have barked at my assistant hey, doofus, play the news. And what it does is it plays a short bulletin produced by the BBC. And occasionally it says, oh, and by the way, you could also listen to One by Sky and use it if you want. Now, it's offering me those options because my Apple ID is, you know, in the UK app store, so it's it's all UK-centric. Fine, great, super. Just recently I said, hey, doofus, play the news. And she replied, here's Apple Music. And then silence. 
So I thought, okay, well, we'll try that again. Same result. Now, when it is working, she normally responds to me and says, here's the latest news from the BBC. So I said, hey, doofus, play the latest news from the BBC. And then she came back with this, which is a new one on me. Here's BBC Radio Shetland, provided by TuneIn. What's a BBC Radio Shetland when it's <laughs> on? <laughs> every every uh, area in the UK has its local BBC radio station. Um, and the Shetland Isles, <laughs> off the far north of Scotland, have their own radio station. Um, and, well, I was listening to it this morning. Ah, did they have the strong Scottish accent from the Shetland Isles? Uh, well, funnily enough, the, the, the accent up in the islands is quite um, distinctive and very neutral. Um, it's it, it's not as Scottish as mainland Scotland. It sounds more sort of received pronunciation. But yes, there was a little bit of a an island accent. Um, I mean, they're, they're so far north, they're practically Norwegian anyway. Uh, they all wear sort of, you know, 16 layers it's it's got a it's got a climate like yours without the good bits mm. it's either freezing and wet in the shetlands or um sort of cold and wet that's that's summer um people people will probably write in that yes the beaches are spectacular it is a gorgeous part of the world agreed but the weather is a bit ropey summer i think is about august the 12th oh i did some work up in the arctic uh, circle like that mm-hmm uh, it was lovely, but it was middle middle of August. Uh, there was basically no sunset. Um, it was just the night went on forever. We got yeah. the northern lights. Uh, but I was there in my Vancouver winter jacket in the middle of August, trying to stay warm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, Shetland, um, Shetland Isles, beautiful though they are, they are little islands in a very, very big, rough, tough, macho sea. So um, windswept and interesting. For sure. Hmm. What about you? Any 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 sort of Twyford follow up? Oh, well, if you if you want to bring up the Apple stuff, <laughs> HomePods. I've realized that I actually use my HomePods like giant Bluetooth speakers um, because I start things on my phone and I, I flick it over to the Apple thing, mostly because uh, the frustration that Stu is having you would see some white little balls rolling down the garden mm. from where I sit, if it tried that stuff with me. Uh, for some reason, and I'm assuming it's probably the Apple upgrade, not the Overcast upgrade, but I can't play a podcast from my phone on Overcast to the HomePod minis, which are the newer ones that they are still selling in the same configuration without quitting overcast relaunching it and trying it a mm. second time yeah no i have that too yeah oh my goodness gracious is that just the most annoying piece of you know i i i almost want a headphone jack back in my uh my phone so i can plug things mm -hmm. in again it's that bad yeah suit. no my, my argument um about the radio um and the news that is with a mini as well. I mean, it's not the old HomePods. That's the still current, still on sale. You know, these are our our little Bluetooth, or not Bluetooth, our little assistant speaker things. It's appalling. It's terrible. Mm. 
So what do we buy instead? Mm. That's a problem, isn't it? Well, yeah. I mean, you can go down the route of the Sonos systems. Um, and, you know, I still have a Sonos 5 and a Sonos 1 um, in in storage. I mean, they are the sort of the original configurations. Um, and, that, that, you know, they make very, very good sound and they function reasonably well as Bluetooth speakers. Um, the difference is that they have um, an app that is useful and works. That's the major difference between them and these hugely expensive Apple ones that I've got. Mm. Hmm. Why aren't I using those, I wonder? Yes. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of of the thought that uh, I think I'm going back to records. I was uh, chatting with uh, one of our listeners uh, about record, stay, record store day, which was uh, on Saturday. And there was some neat stuff coming out. Uh, not that there's any record stores anywhere near me. Well, the one that is, is, do you know how much it was for uh, a U2 album, Stu? Go on. Vinyl. $69.99 Canadian. Boom. Which is somewhere north of 50 bucks US. A little brutal. Mm. Oh, well, the outside of my office, um, having just survived a rainstorm, in fact, are a load of vinyl records from um, Mrs. L's collection that I have carted around Europe now for several years. Um, and we've just done a sort of clear out of, of the, the basement room here. And I said, so, 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 you know, what are you going to do with these? She's like, well, I've got nothing to play them on. I said, well, I do have a record player at home, UK, I mean. Um, I'm just like, mm. and you know, I've got them outside and they're going to go, they're going to go to the dump and oh, a couple of people have come past and say to me, well, you know, these might be worth money. I said, we'll take them then and sell them. Go for it. Um, you know, they might be worth money in Canada or the U S or the UK. They're not in Cyprus and the, the the climate here is not conducive to listening to vinyl records, but there's now that's what I call music. The first one, and I think, okay, that's great. And there's some some old Genesis albums. I'm like, okay, Ooh. this is why I fell in love with my wife. Mm -hmm. I like it, good stuff. And then there is Engelbert Humperdinck, and you still married her. Mm, I wasn't aware of Engelbert's presence in her record collection at the time, or indeed, there's there's uh, what else was there? Um, Julio Iglesias. Mm, not sure about that either. Oh, Stu, but, I uh, think you've got some romantic nights coming if you can get a record player. Get those no, on, some no, candlelight. No, no, these things are going along with uh, my dad's extensive collection of woodworking tools. Um, I've counted 22 woodworking chisels. Mm -hmm. I should at this point, mentioned that my dad never ever did any woodwork yeah but you need it for around the house i'm assuming that that's what happened because my mother didn't do any either so where this stuff came from i've no idea um three full sets of socket wrenches um three full sets of spanners um and margaret said to me so well, you can't get rid of those i said well i have retained the three better sets oh mm. Six sets of socket wrenches. Who needs six sets of socket wrenches? Oh, we're not going out to my garage to count, are we? Uh, no, let's not. Paint pots. I mean, I've got paint from 1980s. Sealed paint pots. Mm -hmm. um, 
Most of them, I think, um, probably fell off a lorry at the MOD somewhere because they've got very official government markings on them. <laughs> Every Everything is a uh, funny shade of uh, dark olive green. Yeah, there's a little bit of that sort of stuff going on, yeah. So um, all of that is going. So I was trying to get rid of our rubbish, but I had to wade through a load of my parents' rubbish first, um, which I suppose is, you know, it's a good thing. It's a sort of renewal. You, you know what we did when we moved? Uh, we did basically the same thing, went through all the stuff that I had collected and um, basically just got a, a guy to drop a skip on our front uh, mm -hmm. driveway and load it up and then drive away with it. And it was expensive and it was well worth every penny that I paid. Yeah, I mean, I did that in the UK and um, I've done it a couple of times in the UK when Margaret used to disappear to Sicily because Margaret is the hoarder in the family. And when she used to disappear to Sicily in the summer, I would get a skip and just throw stuff away and, and she would never know it had happened. Um, but... I was going to do the same here last time. She went away last summer uh, from here. I thought, okay, well, I'll get a skip. They wanted 600 euros um, to put a skip on my, my drive for two days. I mean, that's that's like 700 US. Uh, again, Stu, throw money at it. There are things that are worth it. Well, what I'm doing at the moment is I am throwing um, about 100 euros at Dirty Dave. Um, that's not his full name, but that's how he's known. Um, and he's going to, he's going to, take the stuff down in his pickup truck mm. uh which I, I i see that as a considerably better investment and i'm sure dirty dave is much more appreciative of it than the skip company would have been too so. all right there you are uh, wise man once told me throw money at a problem i did my skip was good all right let's get back to the regulars what are you writing right. with this week uh what am i writing with this week um well same as before, I've still got the same rotation going, but I have added a little pocket pen. Um, I was using a sort of weird little pencil-y thing, um, a Koh-i-Noor um, notebook pencil, which is a little mechanical pencil. It's very nice. Mm, very nice. Um, but it's it's a little bit fragile for the back pocket and my considerable heft. So I've gone to my old favorite um, brass Koweco Sport, this one with a medium nib, which is very moderate by my standards. Um, and a forest green diamine cartridge. Great little pen. Ah. Indestructible. Love it. This is the one that survives the BMW. Uh, well, actually, it was the double broad nib that's described uh, that survived the BMW. But this one's got its fair share of uh, battle, battle scars too. Right, well, I'm just thinking if it'll survive that, uh, your rear end's got no, no wor worries about damaging it. <laughs> exactly. What about you? What are you using? Uh, a problem that I've got is once you start inking up these big piston fillers with uh, small, narrow nibs, they last a while. So I'm still writing with exactly the same stuff that I was last week. So I'm completely boring, but uh, I'll have to write a little bit more, I think, so I can get something changed and something exciting to talk about. But I'm still loving the ones that I've got, which is always good. Absolutely, you can't look that. So, what are you writing with on these things? What is your your tool of the week, as it were? What are you writing on? Oh, my tool of the week. Well, I had a really busy week this week. Um, one of the things I do is a layout, a two-page weekly on uh, a Leuchtturm A5, and I 
I think it was the best thing I could have done because I knew I had this busy week. I've got some deadlines coming up. What it allowed me to do was see where all the pieces could fit in. Huge help for getting the stress level down and really figuring out where it could be. Doing it manually, it just works so well for me. My brain sitting there with a with a pen, putting in pieces as I look at the deadlines and say, work back and say, where does this need to be? It was it was a huge help for me. Uh, so yeah, I'm really happy about my layout. How about you? What were you? What was your tool this week? Uh, I'm still uh, sort of you know in Mortal Kombat with uh, GTD. So I'm uh, I, I completed a, a my first proper weekly review, Ooh. which for me I think has always been the thing missing from my GTD practice and. Um, I would argue is probably the most important element of GTD. So um, put some time aside. I've carved out some time in my in my calendar. It's a sort of standing appointment I have with myself um, and just thought, okay, I'm going to do this as faithfully as I can to the original method. Uh, and yeah, it really works. It's, it's as you said, with your your weekly planner, it's the control side of things. It's the fact that you've gone through and got, okay, this needs to happen then, which means that I should do that here and that here. And for me, I use um, um, an electronic calendar mm-hmm. and just moving some blocks around and going, all right, so that thing I would usually do, no, because of that deadline. It just gives, gives you that sense of control. And going through uh, each of my areas, each of my projects and saying okay so what's open here what do i need oh there's something i need to do there there's some and it it just gives me that sense of sure there's lots of things to do there's always lots of things to do but that i know what i'm doing when uh it allowed me to sort of start that weekly layout that you talk about okay mine's electronic but same thing of putting some blocks in and saying that's the big block of work I need to get done that day. That's the thing I need to do then. Those are the little bits I need to knock off between then. And it just felt very, very powerful. So that, you know, I came to my desk uh, on Monday, not morning in my case, because I play golf, <laughs> but Monday afternoon, I came to my desk and went, right, bang, these are the things I need to get knocked out today. And, you know, reached the end of my day going, okay, that's it, cool. And was able to sort of, you know, just review what's going to happen the next day. Just felt great. When are you uh, doing your weekly review? I do my weekly review Friday afternoon. Um, I have no work scheduled. I don't do any work on uh, Friday afternoon except the weekly review and consequences of it. So I give myself um, a little bit of time after the review to clean up the things that my review showed me, if you see what I mean. so. Oh, yes. I know all about that one. Yeah, things I've forgotten, things that, um, you know, it's just going to be easier if they're finished before we go into the weekend. So, uh, yeah, I find that really, really powerful. Obviously, a certain amount of uh, latitude in that I'm my own boss. So um, I can say, you know, I don't take calls on a Friday afternoon. I don't do meetings on a Friday afternoon. I, I just get on and do what I need to do around the weekly review. Very good. I'm glad that's working for you. Uh, well, at least for, what's that, one week, two weeks? I was going to say, yeah, we, we, we might want to revisit this in a few months to see how we're getting on. But yeah, I'm certainly enjoying it right now. I do believe that the most important part of any GTD system, any system at all, really, is the review. Because if you just wait for things to pop up as, oh, this is due, that's due, 
and you don't have that forethought, that visibility into what's coming up, you put it into your magic little box and it will tell you when it's due, but then you just play whack-a-mole with your tasks. So I, I think that planning part, that reviewing, looking at it, making sure you're aligned with where you really want to be, definitely the, the best part of GTD. Yeah. So uh, there's, there's a, an application for that called OmniFocus, Stu. <laughs> well, I think you'll find, young man, that things works equally well if in a slightly less complex presentation. Ah, the battle of the task <laughs> managers. <laughs> Indeed. As long as you're using one of them and using it properly, then I think you're, you're better off than not using any. A trusted system and all that, right? That's it. All right. Uh, we're going to talk about the future of work. Mm -hmm. What do you think it's going to look like in 50 years, Stu? I don't care. <laughs> I'm not going to be here. <laughs> oh, come on. Last week you were telling us you've got a plan for the next 40, 45 years. So you're, you're going to be up there against it. That's, that's to cover my wife's um, illogical fear that we're going to live forever and run out of money. Um, in terms of work, I, I barely do any now. What am I going to be doing in 50 years? Mm. Um, I don't know. It's interesting because I think you and I are um, – we're not diametrically opposed. That would be overstating it. But we we see this differently, I think. Um, and just of late, um, I can't remember what they call this. Is it Schrodinger's cat? I don't know. Um, <laughs> the Everywhere I turn, there's some oblique reference which makes me go, huh? So I was listening to an interview with Hillary Clinton. So it's um, the 25th anniversary of the Good Friday Agreement which was the, uh, the cessation of hostilities in Northern Ireland. Ah. And the, um, the Clintons were, were very much involved, along with Blair, the um, UK Prime Minister at the time, uh, in making this happen. I listened to a podcast called um, The Rest is Politics, which is Rory Stewart and Alistair Campbell. Alistair Campbell was Tony Blair's spin doctor. Um, and they'd interviewed Hillary Clinton, who... You know, regardless of one's views on her politically, et cetera, you know, I don't want to get into that. You know, she's been around the block a little uh, when it comes to world affairs. Uh, you know, she was married to a president. She was very nearly a president herself um, and was, well, certainly Secretary of, Stra uh, sorry, Secretary of State uh, as held senior roles. Um, and she's of an age now where she doesn't really need to care too much. So she's an interesting interview, that's for sure. And just... Talking about something entirely different, really, about you know, Europe's place in the world, she she noted that the euro had not, uh, the implication being that people feared it would, become a threat to the primacy of the US dollar. Now, I could talk for hours about what the primacy of the US dollar means, but I'm not sure it occurred to many people in Europe when they were thinking about the euro, that this was in some way going to be seen as economically aggressive by the states. And it was just a fascinating insight to me of how people at the time, people in power in the United States at the time, viewed the euro and viewed the world. And then just today or yesterday, I received a report um, from the US Treasury, 
I mean, it wasn't sent to me. Sorry, that sounded wrong. There was a report written by the U.S. Treasury. It was posted on Discord uh, by a 19-year-old uh, American <laughs> just so that you could see it, Stu. Yes, I know how these things yep. work. Yeah, well, this was about uh, de-risking um, in financial services, which uh, really, if you think that sounds interesting, get help. Uh, it's not. Um, but it did contain this uh, another little beautiful nugget which said, undermining the centrality of the U.S. financial system. And what that points to is a belief within government that the U.S. financial system must be central to the world. That's not necessarily a point of pride. It's a sort of accepted point within the U.S. And so, again, it's an insight into how those in power consider the US and consider its role in the world. And I, you know, I, I was just thinking at the time, I wonder how many people in the States think that they are working to maintain and preserve the centrality of the US financial system. Wow. Deep thoughts, Stu. Well, I'm kind of at that place where I'm a free market economist. That's what I've done all my life. I've worked in that world. We, we all have, you have, um, everybody listening to this podcast has with possibly one or two exceptions. That type of capitalism, you know, growth, 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 work, 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 productivity, productivity. You know, if we all work to make more money, to make things better, then uh, there will be more money for everyone. The world will be a better place. Everything will be great. That, I mean, newsflash, everybody, that's broken, that system. Mm, yes. Um, Justin knows it, and I know it. And most people of our age have got a pretty good idea of it because all the things that used to be the law don't count anymore. So it used to be that the whole system required and relied on moral hazard. So you, you couldn't just go bust. And if you did, you, you know, tough, you've gone bust. Whereas, you know, somehow or other, the state decided it was going to start bailing out banks. The state itself, the biggest countries in the world are, well, by any proper measure, bankrupt. Mm -hmm. they, they owe so much money that they could never possibly pay back. I mean, right now, the world debt position is $300 trillion of global debt. That's $37,500 for every person on the planet, including a little baby born 15 seconds ago in sub-Saharan Africa, who's probably never going to see $37,500. It's outside the rules. The model that Justin learnt and I learnt and many of you learnt has been thrown out the window. And it's been quietly done by central banks and banking generally. Um, where they've just said, well, just we'll just make money up. That's what we'll do. We'll just invent more. And that's what keeps everything working. Well, it keeps us working because somebody has to pay for all that. And at the end of the day, there's only one taxpayer. Who's the taxpayer? You and I, Stu. <laughs> everything we do. Uh, you know, corporations. Well, where do corporations come from? Who owns them? People. Eventually, it all trickles back to there is one taxpayer. Now, there are some of them that are in a much better position than others. But yeah, it's it's a bit of a shell game that's kind of held out in the open, but 
you know, you're just like a shell game. You're never going to find a little marble under the shell. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of it. I mean, that that whole model, um, that sort of everlasting growth. And if if we let's let's say we're going to play in this, the other thing that happened was that it was the anniversary of an investment that I've made. So, um, I suppose driven by fear more than anything else, I decided that having my money figuratively, at least under under the mattress, was not the best place to have it. And so I thought, okay, I've got to go into some sort of investment vehicle. Um, I shopped around. I, I know my way around this game. So I, I put it somewhere where I think, okay, it's a reasonable risk profile, et cetera, et cetera. And over the last 12 months, I've lost 3%, give or take. Now, most of that is because any balanced portfolio uh, holds a certain amount of government bonds, which is that debt that we were just talking about. Um, in an environment where interest rates are going up, bonds decrease in value. So even though they're the safest place, and there were air quotes around that comment, uh, to have your money, um, they do from time to time lose value. And they have over the last year. If you look over any period of 10 years, that won't happen. However, right now they've lost money, which for the investment broker is bad news because he's sitting there going, okay, this guy's going to come in and say to me, why am I paying you to lose my money? Which is exactly what happened. I went in and said, okay, had I left my money in a tracking stock, you know, a Dow Jones tracker or a um, FTSE 100 tracker, I would have pretty much not made any, but not lost any. However, I gave it to you. You put it in this ever so clever fund and lost 3% of it. And of course, I'm aware of why, but I want to hear the response. I want to hear what plan is being taken. The sort of questions that anybody would reasonably ask. And as we talked, it was apparent to me that what's happening now, I think this isn't used to anyone, is that emphasis around sort of free market uh, economics is now look east. That's where the power is going to be. That's where the money is going to be. Because you've got these enormous markets that are emerging, China, India, where they still have very low cost base. Um, they've got these wonderful consumer markets like Justin and Stuart to aim at. Um, and we want to spend money. So yeah. Apple is a great thing for the US. Look at that. A great American company. Oh, rubbish. All the money goes to China because that's where everything's made. And the huge changes that, you know, Tim Cook is talking about making will well, they'll affect about 20% of what Apple does, and it will happen over 10 years. And the huge change is it's going to move some production to India. It's not going to Texas. So that type of economics, the East is where you would go. So, you know, uh, if Justin and I were advising young Justin and young Stu, we'd probably be saying, well, maybe, maybe good idea to learn Chinese. That might serve you well, you know, going forward. And perhaps, yeah, if you can get yourself a placement in Singapore for a while, that's not a bad place to be. Or Tokyo, yeah, that's worth looking at. The trouble is that the States, and to a lesser extent, Europe, doesn't want that to happen. So New York Stock Exchange, the London Stock Exchange, the London Foreign Exchange Market, all of these guys think, well, how do we make sure that the power remains with us? And that is the question that will decide 
what the future of work is. So what do you think it's going to be? Do you have any concept of where extrapolating that out with the, the East focus that people largely in our market, because you know, that's who we're talking to. Um, do you see, where, where do you see us being, you know, uh, a mini Justin, uh, you know, my daughter in 50 years? Well, I mean, I think looking at the, the, you know, the East and the pos possible growth and all that stuff is kind of a red herring because whilst it's going to be important in the short term, all it's going to do is further highlight the fact the system's bust and that money doesn't mean anything anymore. Uh, well, unless you don't have any, and then it certainly does. Sure, but money is a construct. And as we've got further and further and further from the original concept of money, and let's not go to, to, to Bitcoin because I'll probably have an aneurysm, but as we've got further from the construct where, where money is in fact tied to some objective value, then it becomes less and less meaningful. And hence why things like cryptocurrency can, can thrive. Because increasingly people are noticing that money doesn't actually mean any much. When the pandemic came and everybody, oh, what are we going to do? Government's just invented some more. That's all they did. And they gave it to everyone. And now fiscal tightening, all of these types of things are going to happen. And you know, recession and all those things that people are warning of. How do you answer someone who says, well, why don't we just invent some more money so that we don't have homeless people living on the streets of our cities? Wouldn't that be a good idea? No, they've been saying that for a long time and they've been beaten back with very sort of economic Keynesian argument, all of which now has been ripped up. You can't, with a straight face, say, well, you know, this debt, this debt has to be paid. You can't have this debt just create. No, 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 no. Because when it suits the powers that be, they just create the debt. Ah, doesn't matter. The US will never, ever, 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 ever be in a position to pay its debt, ever. But it's okay. People will still buy T-bonds because, you know, it's the US. Well, how do you know they're going to pay you? Well, because... If they need to, they'll just print some more money and then give it to me. Oh, okay. There you are. So I think what will happen and what is happening, and you and I, this is where I think we differ, probably see these tides differently. I think that sort of future that has been imagined in the past of um, human beings doing less work, in inverted commas, I think that's coming. I think we have to find some other reason and driving force for our lives. What that is, hmm, that's, a, that's a problem I don't know, particularly as I don't believe in God. So the concept of something spiritual, it's not really going to hit with me, although I completely understand that it does hit very hard with a lot of people. And they see a greater purpose. You know, they're here for... I don't know, um, you know, to honor their God, to uh, get closer to their God, you know, whatever it might be. And I'm not dissing that in any way. All I'm saying is that it's not applicable to me. And perhaps it's, you know, it's my birthday. I'm in my mid fifties. Maybe I'm sitting here staring at my navel going, well, what's it all for? Why am I here? 
But I think that question does apply on a much grander scale because at the risk of sounding like some sort of neo-Marxist, capitalism is dead. Hmm. Yep, we we kind of I, I I get where you're going. I kind of approach this from the people. You know, the people that right now are struggling to pay their bills, you know. I've seen cost of living in North America jump. Yep. Um, you know, through uh, groceries through mm. um, heat, you know, for the house, yeah, everything has gone up and gone up and gone up. Food inflation in the UK at the moment, I think, is twenty percent per annum. Yeah, I think we're uh, we're into double digits here too. But mm. I, I think at the end of the day, I still look at work and I have a hard time coming to your part of. The capitalist system's dead, therefore we will have more money because money doesn't mean anything. We'll have more time. And I just don't see it. I kind of look back, you know, I'm in my early 50s, a little bit younger than Stu, uh, which is why I've still got all my good looks and everything, and, <laughs> uh, all my hair. And, oh, no, never mind. That's all shot. Diplomacy intact. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's about it. <laughs> um, I, I sort of remember the, the, the 80s, the uh, whole yuppie thing and... Mm. Um, I don't think we're that far, uh, you know, uh, the, the promise has always been that we would come to this utopian part of life where we work less and we enjoy more and we find, you know, higher reasons to, to look at ourselves. I just honestly don't see it. Um, you know, everybody's hot on this whole AI chat GPT is going to change the world. Um, Okay, repeat after me. There is no such thing as AI. AI does not exist. We're in the age of machine learning that has a really good PR department. But all we've got is a sophisticated grammar checker. Something that regurgitates other stuff it's read. It's not thinking. It's not aware of itself. It doesn't learn. And that really limits and changes, I think, where we will be. I don't think we'll get there because for the last 20 years, we've been just around the corner from AI. And if you listen to any of the discussions on it, we're still, it's, it's like self-driving cars. We're always 20 years away from self-driving cars uh, because of the safety. There, there are parts of it you can get right. There are parts of machine learning that act to a regular person. Uh, as AI, but the reality is we're not there. I think what it's going to do is going to change how we work. Um, because, you know, I remember back in the eighties, robotics was going to change the world and it has done in some industries, but the cost of it and, you know, there are so many industries out there that one still has to put in time you know nobody wants to go and get a coffee from a robot you know a machine you push a button and you have instant coffee they want to go and have a barista make it um i think it's it's just things will change and i think things will require skill intuition experience and art um, you know i i work with some staff that um, you set up a set of rules and they will follow them. 
hey, yeah, you know what that is? That's a computer program. They could possibly have some of their stuff um, automated. But I think the reality is that you can't have rules for everything. And the problem is that the rules need that skill, intuition, experience, and art to solve those problems, to oversee it. I think some of the tasks that we do will change in 50 years, but I think we'll still need to have human oversight. And that is going to be economics, you know, um, layoffs. Well, we've seen those back in the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, 2000s, the dot-com bust, 2008. And here we are again, you know, everybody is downsizing with layoffs. I just, uh, I, I don't see that we've learned anything and we've progressed towards Stu's view that we're, that money won't meet, need anything because we still have to earn. What what am I missing, Stu? I, I, I respect your, your position on it, but I'm, I'm trying to see what I'm missing. I don't think you're missing anything. I think the reality is that to successfully function in one of these modern uh, Western societies, the, you do need to earn money and um, you can do so in a number of different ways. So um, if, you, if you look at Europe, Europe has some very um, big public sectors. Um, and I suppose you could argue that that sort of across your side of the pond as well, that, that's a, a problem that may be growing. But you have... Um, just thinking of very local, very sort of specific example here. If I look at the electricity board here, it has you know a massive office in my local city, and it's being forced now to modernise and to drag itself into the twenty first century, or some would say the twentieth century. But there is still office upon office upon office upon office of people adding no discernible value to anything. And there are many, many companies, there are many, many jobs that if you look at as a consultant from the outside, you go, well, what the hell is this? What, what, what's going on? There are things here that can be automated. There are things here that I would appear to be people not adding any value. And there are companies that exist, there are businesses that exist in such a way as to generate profit for no apparent reason. Now, what I mean by that is if you look at, um, you know, we as, as the race of humans have now worked out how to provide power and how to provide food sufficient for the needs of the planet. And we've done that through a model incentivization motivation of capitalism let's all make money out of this but if you look at the recent the recent sort of headlines certainly in europe after the russian invasion of ukraine um the energy companies are making these astonishingly large profits um because they operate quasi monopolies and if not monopolies then cartels for an essential service and it is self-perpetuating this model is that they will keep demanding and demanding and demanding and demanding payment to create profit so that they can then get more payment it's a weird cycle where you go well this is done 
This is finished. It's, I know it sounds ideological, but you know, how the hell is it that people can't get clean water? How is it possible that people can't have enough to eat? With all of the nonsense where you've got Elon Musk throwing away billions on a website where people can shout at each other, building rockets to go to Mars. How is it that we allow people to starve on our streets? Makes no sense. It simply doesn't work. And the arguments that have been used to justify that are increasingly thin. Not just to me. I'm not suggesting that I've woken up and decided I'm a socialist. I've woken up and looked at these things and gone, I'm not sure I can effectively make that argument. And I believe that will continue to grow. And if you look at um, some of the most sort of impactful things that have happened of late, then, I don't know, Greta Thunberg, who essentially is, I believe that she's autistic, but she has focused in on a very simple, straightforward issue and been uh, incredibly annoying about it. But also, she's right. And that simplicity of message and has, has affected people, has made people think, well, do you know what? She's got a point. What is the point of Apple making loads and loads of money if the planet blows up? What is the point of everybody working harder and harder and harder, in some cases to accelerate the damage to the planet? Which, okay, we're all going to go and live on Mars, except we can't yet. And I think those stories and those, I'm not going to say legends, but to me, climate change always was in the past. Hmm, okay, it's really difficult to see the difference between what the impact man is having and the impact man hasn't. And if you look at, say, ozone, you know, the big ozone story, we've reversed that. Ozone is now increasing because we got rid of CFCs and we took decisive action. That said, we still haven't dealt with the real big problems of, of warming. And, you know, there is no doubt that the science indicates that it is us. It's what we're doing. And that is going to result, for example, in the Maldives not being there in 20 years and all the people that are on it. And we increasingly have governments in the West are saying, well, well, we can't possibly have immigrants. It's simply not fair. No, certainly not. What are we going to do? Leave them on the islands to drown? Hmm. I think that the, the world needs the next big idea. And I don't think that it's being talked about. And that's why, with the greatest of respect to our current crop of politicians, we've got these people essentially moving deck chairs around on the, on the Titanic and saying, okay, well, you know, should, 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 should we have a Republican at the age of uh, I don't know, 80 or something or a Democrat at the age of 78? Well, again, getting into either of their track records or their, their morality or, you know, I, I, I think it's quite straightforward, the choice between the two. But is that the best? To the leader of the free world is going to be either, it would seem, Joe Biden or Donald Trump. That appears to be the question that's being set up for the American electorate to decide. And then you wonder why the US dollar is the bedrock of everything. Well, it's, it's you know, it's, it's an artificial system and it's all built on 
a, a set of assumptions that are no longer true and a set of assertions that increasingly are difficult to justify. And I think the future of work is going to be about, okay, how do we safeguard our existence on the planet? How do we, as a species, continue to prosper? Um, because ultimately, as a species, it doesn't really matter how many pieces of paper you've got in your pocket or how many digits are on your electronic bank statement. That's not actually helping the species enormously. Are we growing? Are we evolving? If evolution is true and all the indications are it is, then how are we evolving? Well, how are we evolving? People in Silicon Valley don't let their kids use the stuff that they make. And that's been true for a long, long time. Steve Jobs very famously wouldn't let his kids use a, uh, an iPad. Why? Because he knows what it's for. He knows that this engagement that everybody talks about, what that really is, is monetizing attention. Everybody knows that. It's not new. I'm not saying anything exciting. But the best minds in the world are focused on how we can get more zeros into the bank account by turning our people slightly more stupid, mm. by reducing their attention span, by dissuading them and demotivating them from learning, from reading. So, you know, you, you talk about AI and what it can and can't do. I would argue that AI can write the best-selling books that we currently have without a single problem or an issue. I mean, and don't get me wrong, I'm not being snobbish. The, the Jack Reacher books, Lee Child, love them. I wouldn't describe them as literature, and I certainly believe AI could write them, because it's the same plot repeated in a different town, slightly different twist. Boom. There we go. At the end, the big guy who's six foot eight scythes down all the bad guys and wins. Hurrah! Often he gets the girl too. You can buy books. If, like me, you're interested in writing, you buy books and say, well, actually, everything is the hero's journey. Every story ever written is the hero's journey. This is how it works. This is how you set it up. These are the incitements to action. These are the responses. And at the end, we need a resolution. Every single story ever written is that. If that's true, and there's very good <laughs> arguments to suggest that it is, of course AI can write good books. Of course it can. With things like art, well, art is entirely subjective anyway. There's no such thing as good art. People will tell you that Andy Warhol's soup tins is art. It's a soup tin. What do you want, a diagram? Oh, sorry, it is a diagram. It's a soup tin. Had he taken a photo of a soup tin, would that be better? Uh, if you say it's better, then it's better. If you say it's worse, then it's worse. Can AI do that? Of course it can. In a heartbeat. The reason that people perceive art to be different, there are myriad reasons. A lot of it is about distinction. A lot of it is about how we like to characterize ourselves. But some of it is about, I like that. I don't like that. Mm -hmm. And what you like and what I like, who cares? You know, that's entirely subjective. And can AI produce things that you will like? Yes. Can AI produce things that I will like? Yes. Can AI produce things that people will think, oh, that was done by a human? Or that was... Of course it can, because there's no way of telling anyway. You know, I mean, 
photography was seen as a huge threat to to art, to painting. And, you know, it's not real art because it's just pressing a button. Well, you know, anybody that takes photos, you especially know that, you know, it's a lot more than that. There is an art to it. Can a computer do it? Of course it can. Can you? Can it do it better than you? Mm. Who knows? Depends who's deciding what's better and what isn't. So I, I think those types of questions largely don't don't take us anywhere. I think that automating things will become more and more important. Uh, not important, inevitable, because right now our capitalist model pervades and persists. And it will be much, much cheaper to have computers, machines doing things uh, than humans. You, you talk about, you know, coffee and, and barista, and I agree with you. But if you look at um, the 19th century coffee shop versus the 21st century coffee shop, there are far fewer staff. So you have a barista and you have, um, you know, buzz boys and, and buzz girls. I don't know what the correct terminology would be, but people that keep, you know, the consumption area tidy pretty and safe but certainly in the past you would have ordered your coffee at your table it would have been brought to you at the, at the table there would have been a much higher staffing level and the production of of beverages coffee tea whatever took a lot more work because you didn't have an amazing um coffee machine that can you know fire water at certain high pressures through coffee compacted to a certain level, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I think those type of luxury experiences, if you like, that you you or I might say, well, we like going to that place because the barista is knowledgeable, um, works, you know, very diligently to make sure that I get the best coffee that I can. Those are, are luxuries. Um, all of the retail experiences that people took for granted 50 years ago have been, are largely being replaced. So um, there's, I've not seen one, but there are, you know, Whole Foods and Amazon stores where there are no staff, except for being in the background to deal with the fact that people can't cope with there's no staff. But you just pick things up, put it in your basket, walk out, your phone pays. And wow. Are there problems? Of course there are. But will those problems be overcome? Of course they will. So every store soon will have people, I mean, even now in the UK, Big supermarkets, the staff work at night replenishing the, the shelves. Uh, the checkouts more and more become electronic. Sure, some people aren't comfortable with it, although the pandemic made people a lot more comfortable with it. I mean, I went four or five places today. I had to get gas in my car. I had to pick something up from the post office. I uh, nipped into a supermarket. Um, I ordered um fuel to be put into my my fuel tank here in uh at the house and i paid with my apple watch and that's in a tiny island in the eastern med those things would have been inconceivable three years ago you know just that there wasn't that depth um all of those things are happening so automation i think is here um you know there is there are people slowly adopting and that will persist but as you say, that's not necessarily the point. The point is, why are we working? What for? To get the money to pay the bills. Okay, why do we need to work for that? What's the point of our system? Why is it that 
a person born in Canada is able to prosper, become a multimillionaire, or to not prosper, struggle to, to, to eat, and possibly die of cold in a, in a freezing city. Why are those two things possible? Because we've, we've made it so. That's why. And I think that's the future of work is, hang on, why are we doing it? And I think those are questions that are being asked. Hmm. And I think that sort of utopian um, vision of, um, what do they call it, the universal income. There are many people in Silicon Valley now saying, yeah, can we just get, get over this whole people need money thing and just give them some so that we can get on with really interesting things like working out um, how to live forever or how to populate Mars or Venus or the moon or, you know, pick a planet. Relativity. Can we really never go faster than the speed of light? It's been proven that we can't, but could we? I don't know. Way over my pay grade, Justin. Way, and I'll be long dead before it happens. However, I think those are the questions that will inevitably become the questions we have to answer. Because people keep having sex and they keep having children. Populations are going to continue to grow. And sure, we can keep feeding them to a certain limit, but everything within Earth is finite. And I think those are the questions that work will will look to address are how do we as a species prosper and survive? Now, maybe I'm just being too utopian and I'm going to take the excuse it's my birthday. But I I, I struggle to understand where it's going to be. I put a link into the to the show note. Um part there's um Kevin Kelly. Have you heard of him? No, I haven't. Um, I, I only heard of him, uh, on a podcast. What was I listening to? I think it was Tim Ferriss. Um, and his website is kk.org. Oh, he paid some money for that domain, didn't he? <laughs> I would, I would guess so. But then if you, you look at him, he's, uh, he's one of those rare things, Justin, he's older than me and you. Um, and he's, he's been around for a while and been, uh, involved in thinking about technology for a long time and he has some interesting views and I'm, I've only just discovered him I'm only just beginning to read it and I'm guessing that's informing my thinking or uh, or my confusion I mean the bottom line for me and I appreciate I've been babbling on but the bottom line for me is I'm not really sure where we're going to be in 50 years but where are we going to be in five years I think we can start guessing at that I think I think the things that are going to dominate have probably already happened we just haven't realize that they are going to dominate so flexibility that would be my guess is going to be a huge one you and i both work from home largely i think that will become more and more important i think your employer doesn't give a hoot there we go there's some self-editing there really doesn't care uh, what time you get to your computer what time you leave your computer how many hours you spend i don't think he cares I don't think he's got the slightest interest. What he's interested in is your output. He's interested in, are you maintaining a control and growing the business? You know, whatever your sort of specific role within the business is, is, is that what he's getting? That's what he's interested in. That's what Claire, I don't care when Claire goes to the office. I don't care when she leaves the office. I don't care what she does when she gets there. But what I want is, are all the people who want to buy things from from Nero's notes, are they happy 
uh, in their experience and buy stuff from Nero's notes. Yes, fantastic. Claire's doing a great job. No? Okay, Claire isn't doing a great job. It's that straightforward. Claire also does a good job. She's she's fantastic. <laughs> Claire does an incredible job. Um, and that's why people keep coming back to, to Nero's notes, because they get a great service. And that's, I think, what employment relationships are going to be about are, okay, look, we've got this person here. Oh, look, he's a father. He's got obligations and what desires outside of the bottom line. And he wants to take his kid to, to practice or she wants to take her kid to the doctor or to, all of those things that everybody has to, to, to get through in life. You know, dentist appointments. You don't want your employer getting in the way of that stuff. I don't think employees are interested in that anymore. And those, I think, are, are, are the things that are most important. Um, if you want to use the Ted, a Ted Lasso reference, total football, okay? I think you're now talking about total employment, which is you work for a company, but you might be doing uh, front of house stuff, you might be doing back stuff, you might be looking after things that are important to you. The whole thing is going to be flexible, it's going to be blended, and it's going to be about um, employers being attractive to employees so that they work together to craft a life for the employee that the, the employee wants. And I don't think it's going to be as straightforward as it has been in the past. And the other thing that I, I think is increasingly important is meaning. Yeah, what is my job about? Why am I here? What am I doing? What am I supposed to be achieving? I think employees are more demanding of that. I don't think people are as willing to be little cogs in a wheel for fixed hours and fixed pay. That was the industrial revolution. That was a long time ago. Um, it's Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Mm. By and large, people have the money now to, to eat. Oh. I appreciate that some don't. Uh, no, I'm going to talk about, you know, within our Western economies, you know. Um, well, even, even within our Western economies, I just look at, uh, you know, young people, especially out here, uh, you know, I think a lot about this with a uh, almost 20 year old in the house. Um, what does her future look like? You know, she can't afford to move out. Mm. The jobs aren't there. You know, granted, there are a few that make all the monies. Um, and at least in the, in the short term, I just can't see with our system of, of a cash-based economy, we need this to do this and, you know, it's a, it's a house of cards. It's a bit like the American debt problem, right? Um, you know, you can't revalue all of the houses in North America to allow access to everybody because people have invested in those. They've paid them off. You know, they, that is their wealth in a lot of cases. You know, people sure. want to sell houses to, to live for the next 15 years, right, Stu? Um, exactly. I, I, there is there is some fundamental problems in, you know, this is kind of the, I think, our disconnect on this one. I get your old Thomas More, your old Utopia. I love it. I never knew you were quite such a, an optimist. I'm much more pessimistic, I think, Stu. I think that, you know, the, the system that we've got, we're so entrenched in the making money, the, you know, innovation at the end of the day is about making money. I'm making a product to sell from my view. And I, I appreciate that the idea that 
things don't might not mean that in the future. I'd love to see it. I just have a hard time seeing a path from here to there. Um, but you know, that's half of the fun of a discussion is. No, I think, I think the path will be fraught. I agree with you because there is no easy way to get there. And, um, you know, I think increasingly, they, what do they call them? The culture wars. They've been around for a long time because in many ways they're generational wars, but I think that will increase. Certainly the UK at the moment, if you, you know, people are, uh, was it, I think 35% of, on average, 35% of people's salary in London pays the rent. Um, and rentals are going up by something obscene, like 25, 30, 40, 50% in some cases in, um, in London. I, I have nephews and nieces who are in their 30s, 40s, some of them are pushing 50, and there is no way that they can afford to buy a house. And many of them struggle to rent a place that they can live in on their own. So they're living in multiple occupancy, you know, for, I'm going to say young people, but people in their 30s sharing a house to be able to, uh, to be able to stay in London. I mean, it's, it's just madness. It's priced out. And why is it priced out? Well, you know, all that sort of economic guff that we were talking about earlier. Um, and you're absolutely right. I'm invested in all that economic guff. I've played by the rules and I've got properties. And what, what, how am I going to feel if those properties half in value? Um, which ultimately is what's got to happen. Uh-huh. You know, if, if people need, need somewhere to live, and the only way they can get somewhere to live is by inventing money. Then where does it stop? Does it stop? You and I both, well, you and I both know that in the economic model we're taught, what should happen now is that with supply being so constrained, demand will go up, prices will go up, more money will be printed and created, therefore devaluing that money, meaning that Prices will go up. Assets that are not financial, i.e. property, for example, will get even more expensive until there exists a class of property owners and an underclass of people who ask for crumbs from our table. And that's just, that's not sustainable. The last time that happened, um, they basically put guillotines in every square in Paris. That's kind of what happened. And everybody's head got chopped off who had property. And that sort of resolved the issue temporarily. Ah, Now you just turn off the internet and it feels that way. (laughs) Exactly. And, you know, uh, I'm I'm asking more questions than giving answers. I mean, I think we both come from the same direction in terms of how the system is built. Uh, We've both been around long enough to see how that works. I'm just a lot more jaded about it than you are, Stu, apparently. <laughs> well, I don't know about that, but what, what really scares me is I don't think there's anyone that you and I can look to who is saying, okay, this is how we are going to move these things forward. No. And that, that person, when they emerge, and you know, for the, for the sake of diversity, I hope it's a woman, uh, when, when that person emerges and says, this is how we're going to do it, um, I think they will very quickly sweep aside uh, all the 75 and 80 year old politicians who are essentially talking nonsense. Yeah. Uh, boy, Stu has got utopia down. All right, Stu, 
<laughs> You've left me on a happy note now. I'm I'm feeling much more positive about uh, the world. Uh, what do you What do you th- What are your takeaways for this? Look, I believe the future is here. I think the future is always um, present, but you only ever see it when you look back. So hindsight is a wonderful thing. And we will look back at, at various events of this century, perhaps even the pandemic, and say, ah, that was a turning point. Um, I still, in my heart of hearts, believe that the human race will be okay. Um, I believe the human race is very base. It has lots of vulgar, nasty, horrible streaks. But as well as those, I think it has lots of really, really positive streaks. And I think we'll be all right. What about you? What's your takeaway? Oh, I, I've... Uh... I've got a takeaway that I'm a grumpy old bugger, apparently. Uh, it's hard to pick, predict the future. I think the short term is going to be a lot harder than perhaps Stu's long-term vision. Um, but you know what? I, I'm going to be hopeful that we'll have some change. Uh, but honestly, I haven't got a clue with it. I'm apparently not a young female politician that can come up with the solutions, which is what Stu thinks we need. Well, I, I mean, I hope I'm right. I'd be lovely, wouldn't it? Just, uh, you know, ah, Maslow and his needs. <laughs> Maslow and the hierarchy of needs. I'll tell you what I'll do. Is a little two-by-two two grid, Justin. I'll, I'll send it over to you. It'll be solved. Mm. Ah, perfect. All right. Until we get that grid, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, well, you can find me moping around trying to find the solution to uh, the end of capitalism. But uh, you can find me writing at stuartlennon.com. Um, you can find me being terribly officious about anti-money laundering at www.limeconsulting.com mm. or you can find some really nice stationery that Claire will package and send to you at nerosnotes.co.uk uh, and if you're looking for me on social media don't bother I'm not there what about you Justin where can people find you uh, you can find me justintwyford.com uh, you can find my adventures on YouTube at beyond your front door and you can email both of us stationeryadjacent at gmail.com uh, our next topic is going to be a listener suggested one that we mentioned last week, productivity books written by guys for guys, question mark, because mm. you can't see that. I think it'll be an interesting conversation. I'm sure Stu will have an opinion on it. For sure. And I'm, I'm going to drag some, some, there are some books that I'm going to drag out and read actually, because uh, this, this topic, sorry to go off on a tangent, but Lisa uh, came up with this topic and she did suggest a couple of, um, books that are not written by guys for guys. So mm-hmm. you need to have a look at those. Uh, homework, Stu. Homework. <laughs> Indeed. On your birthday, I am apologizing for that. All right. Until next week, goodbye and stay productive. Yes, us.